Hello, welcome to episode one of Cardinals Off Day. I am uh, Ben Godar, and I am joined by Ben Humphrey. How are you doing? I'm doing ben? well, Ben. Thank you uh, for reaching out to me and uh, offering uh, the idea of doing the podcast. Uh, I've been looking forward to it, and uh, I hope our audience will enjoy it as well. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. We do. And so uh, for those who are just kind of tuning in here, we've had a couple little previews out there. But uh, our plan is to, uh, as the title suggests, uh, host one of these uh, to uh, hopefully post every off day. So when the Cardinals aren't playing, you can listen to us. Hopefully we'll have something interesting or entertaining to say for you. And uh, so to kick things off, we thought we would uh, do a season preview uh, right before the season starts. In some ways, the off season is uh, is really the longest off day if you think about it. So that was very uh, profound. <laughs> anyway, very profound. Yeah, well, that's what I was going for. So I've been working on that all week. Um, <laughs> so I guess first off, um, you know, I think we'd like to kick things off by talking about you know what have we learned. And so since this is a season preview and we've just come kind of to the end of spring training here, I guess Ben, I'm curious, what do you feel like you have learned in spring training? Um, I think that we have learned that the St. Louis Cardinals see Dylan Carlson perhaps as a center fielder for several years to come. And I think that has kind of come into focus in the last week. And we're going to talk about the roster and, and some of the projections for the players moving forward. But that's something that really jumped out to me uh, in the last week. Uh, the other things that have jumped out to me is. Uh, that the Cardinals are excited about their pitching depth, but I don't think that they were planning on dipping into it in the opening week. And so what we're seeing is I think we're going with the short-term solution in the hopes that some of these younger, more promising arms uh, are going to be there down the line to eat up some innings in the starting rotation if need be. Um, And lastly, uh, John Mosaloc is very proud of himself for the Nolan Arenado trade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. As well, he should be in this case. I will, uh, I will back him up on that one. Um, yeah. So myself in terms of, you know, what do I feel like we learned? And again, we can't learn a lot in spring training, the stats, the performances, not, not a lot we can put in there, but I feel like we can always learn, um, how the team feels about itself and kind of what their plans are, or at least what their plan a is going into the season. And so I feel like one thing that we learned just thinking about what we maybe thought we knew about this team back in February versus what we know right now. And I think we know that this infield is very much set and it probably seems like a foregone conclusion now, but you know, I think as we went into spring training, there was a question of, you know, is this going to be a competition between Matt Carpenter and Tommy Edmond at second base? Is it per- perhaps possible that the team actually wants Tommy Edmond in more of a super utility role and is going to try to get Carpenter in there? Well, whether they wanted it that way or not, uh, you know, Matt Carpenter played Tommy Edmond into the starting role there. So the that infield, those, you know, top four in the infield is just crystal clear. Uh, the outfield, on the other hand, is just a total mess and kind of continues to be a total mess. Um, uh, you know, it's uh, and, and obviously the Bader injury, of course, scrambles things as, a little bit as injuries always do. But, um, you know, I feel like we're on about year four of we have to see what some of these guys can do. And it's uh, a little surprising how kind of up in the air we still are with a lot of these guys. 
O'Neill, Thomas, you know, even Bader to an extent. And obviously we got somebody like Dylan Carlson coming on. So um, I feel like we learned a lot about the infield. And I think we learned that the outfield continues to be uncertain and, and will be going into the year. So, um, so with that, uh, I think the first topic we wanted to dive in here to, uh, you know, in kind of uh, season preview mode, uh, I thought it would be fun for us to draft position players on the team in terms of wins above replacement. So uh, we can just kind of bounce back and forth, give us a quick chance to talk about each one. Um, ben, I've got a coin here. Do you want to call heads or tails for who's going to go okay, first? Okay, I will call heads. Oh, it is actually uh, tails. So um, I'm afraid I'm going to go first, but in some ways I think that gives me the least interesting selection of all <laughs> because uh, I would I would guess that the Cardinals leader in wins above replacement this year is going to be uh, Nolan Arenado. So Ben, can I ask, would you have also made that your number? One uh, I would have made that my number one choice, uh, even though I think there's going to be a lot of people who are a little bit disappointed with his hitting line at the end of the year. Uh the Coors effect has been well documented uh, throughout baseball for most of our lives. Um, but that's only part of the picture uh, with his offense. The other is that he is moving to Bush stadium uh, with ballpark village, uh, which has really had an impact on power hitting in particular from right-handed batters. And so I think uh, he his defense gives you a really great foundation for wins above replacement because he is one of the best defenders in all of baseball. Um, but, you know, you do worry about that right-handed power uh, playing half your games at Bush Stadium. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you took a lot of the kind of words out of my mouth. Um, you know, I'm hopeful for Nolan Arenado to post maybe around a, a four-war season is, is about what I'm kind of realistically hoping for. He had seasons earlier in his career where he was more like a, a six-win player. And for all those reasons you cited, I, I don't think we're going to see that. I still think that's possible. That's definitely still kind of the higher end of his possible outcomes. Um, but as you also said, for me, um, even with some concerns about his his offense, which certainly will step back a little bit from the Coors effect, and of course, he was battling that shoulder injury last year, which we don't know the extent to which that might linger. And also sometimes these supposed injuries that guys are battling are also just sort of the aging curve starting to show up a little bit too. So there's some reasons to, to think about that there. But, you know, even with those kind of caveats there, as you mentioned, you know, his superlative defense, he's one of these guys who's going to keep his his wins above replacement fairly high just because he'll always have that there, even if his hitting takes a step back. So, all right. So Nolan Arenado is the first pick. Ben, we'll, we'll throw it to you for pick uh, number two. I'm going to pick Dylan Carlson. Um, and there may be some folks who are a little bit surprised with me taking him uh, in the first spot. Uh, I am a little surprised. Uh, the reason that I'm doing that is, you know, Paul Goldschmidt is Paul Goldschmidt and he's an excellent player. Um, but I think we're seeing him in his decline phase. Uh, he had a, a little rough stretch in his first year with the Cardinals before hitting very well uh, in the second half. And last year he put together good numbers. But the thing that we all have to keep in mind when we're reading about 2020 and when we're listening to folks talk about it, and like I just did right there, when I say last year, I'm only talking about 58 games, which is a fraction of a season. 
And, uh, you know, he achieved that uh, with some interesting numbers. He reduced his strikeouts considerably. He increased his walk rate considerably. Um, I don't know if either one of those things is something he can duplicate over a 162-game season. And so I would be surprised if he puts together, you know, a vintage Goldschmidt season. I think, again, there's the Bush Stadium effect, but also his age. I just don't think the offensive numbers are going to be there uh, the way that they have in the past. He's also a little bit overrated as a defender because he's so good at scooping. I know that's heresy in the St. Louis Cardinals community where scoops with Danny Mack is a growing media empire. Um, But, uh, you know, he is just he is not a bad defender by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not an Arenado. No one is, but he's not even, you know, a Colton Wong or even a Paul DeYoung type of infielder uh, when it gets down to it. Switching now from trashing Paul Goldschmidt, uh, who is one of my favorite players, (laughs) uh, to singing the praises of Dylan Carlson. Um, Carlson, we've seen play in person. Uh, Ben and I have seen him uh, in the minors. Uh, And I just, I love the way he goes about uh, plate appearances and works the count. Um, he is someone who is on offense in the batter's box uh, and has the skill uh, to hit with two strikes or when he's ahead in the count. Um, he's going to draw walks. He's good on the bases. He's a good defender. Um, I think he would have been a better uh, corner outfielder than he will be a center fielder. But the scouting reports all say, and I haven't seen anything in person to refute it, Uh, that he will probably be an above-average center fielder in the major leagues day in and day out, and he's going to get an opportunity to do that. When you look at this roster, Carlson is going to be the center fielder for nine innings during every game until Harrison Bader comes back, uh, unless there's an injury or a player is hitting so poorly and they promote Lane Thomas. Um, But right now, center field is his. Um, And I think the offense, uh, defense, and base running, because he is also an excellent base runner, Uh, you know, he has those tools and he's going to have an opportunity to showcase them. And I am a big believer in Dylan Carlson. And I think when you look at some of his batted ball data from last year, I think that the skill with which he was swinging the bat is masked a bit in his final hitting line. And I think we're going to see him break out this year. And I think he's going to break out in a big way and he's going to become the number two punch and the one, two punch with Arenado. All right. Well, I tell you, so for the third pick, uh, I was really on the fence between Paul Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung. I project them to be right about the same. Um, But after listening to you just absolutely trash Paul Goldschmidt, uh, I'm going to go with Paul DeYoung here, but actually I kind of already convinced myself of that ahead of time. Um, as I went back and looked at their numbers over the last few years. Now, in terms of hitting, Paul Goldschmidt is a far superior hitter to Paul DeYoung. No question at all. But I think that even those of us that follow the Cardinals, and I count myself in this because when I pulled up Paul DeYoung's uh, Fangraphs page and I looked at his defensive numbers, I was like, man, he's he's better than I realize he is. And I, I and I still now I, I do realize that he's better, but it's like it, every time I look, he's still uh, so much better you know, than I realized that he was. And uh, so, uh, you know, kind of like, as with Arenado, you know, 
DeYoung is a significantly plus defender. And of course, he's pl- he's a plus defender at the most difficult and most essential defensive position, the position that adds the most value. So he just builds himself a big enough lead there that I think even though his offense is has has varied his offense is questionable um i think he holds out i look back 2019 the last you know full season we had um paul goldschmidt posted a 2.9 wins above replacement uh paul de young was 4.1 um and i again that just kind of shows you what you know the the value that that defense can add now now de young's hitting um he's always kind of had streaks and often kind of cooled off and maybe gotten tired at the end of the season Last year, the whole season kind of looked like the end of the season, but with the COVID and everything else, I'm I'm pretty much throwing that out. Um, I do think Paul DeYoung is a is a good hitter. I don't think he's a great hitter, but um, I would uh, I would go with Paul DeYoung with my next pick. So Ben, have I cornered you into now having to say good things? About uh, Paul you Bochy? have, but I want to say one other thing about DeYoung uh, with respect to your pick. I think, and it looks like right now. It's going to be Goldschmidt batting number two, Arenado batting number three, DeYoung batting cleanup. And, you know, Bernie Miklas has written some about how DeYoung has not driven in runs at the rate you would like to see from a cleanup hitter. Um, And I'm not someone who puts uh, a lot of stock in those types of situational splits over a player's career. Um, But what I am going to say is, if he is batting cleanup behind Arenado and Goldschmidt, he is going to be batting with men on base a lot. And that helps a hitter because you tend to see more fastballs when you're hitting with men on base. Um, And overall, major league hitters hit better with men on base than they do with the bases empty. And I think that that dynamic is going to help Paul DeYoung uh, bounce back uh, after a weird COVID season. And so I, I think that's another tally in favor of him having a good year this year. Um, now also though, unless something goes terribly wrong, if Paul DeYoung has has more wins above replacement uh, than Paul Goldschmidt and Paul Goldschmidt is fourth on the team, which is my selection now, the Cardinals are going to be in a really good position. Um, and so uh, I hope that we are right uh, with our second and third picks um, for my fourth pick. And you have thrown me a curveball uh, because I wanted to do another counterintuitive pick number four, but Goldschmidt has fallen in my lap. And so uh, I am gladly going to take him. Uh, I have uh, already um, sort of given you the negative view of why compared to Carlson Uh, And the primary reason I would choose Carlson over him is the aging curve. Um, But Paul Goldschmidt is still Paul Goldschmidt. And uh, there's no indication he is going to have an Albert Pujols type decline. In fact, his first two seasons with the Cardinals suggest it's going to be a a much more gradual uh, decline for him uh, than what Pujols underwent. And he still has an excellent, Uh, concept of the strike zone and pitchers still are uh, pitching him like he's Paul Goldschmidt, which tells us that they think he's still Paul Goldschmidt. And, uh, you know, he had a good bounce back year last season. Uh, The profile's not quite what you would expect from Goldschmidt in terms of how he went about it. Um, But he's a good hitter. He's capable of taking what pitchers are giving him. uh, And 
you know, the power is still going to be there on the road. And even though he is weighted down by number one, his defensive position and number two, uh, his average performance there in the field. Um, he is, he is an excellent base runner as well. Um, and has been throughout his career. And even though he's getting older, I think he will still, uh, be able to give the Cardinals positive value there as well. And so, um, I'm going to take Goldschmidt fourth. Um, And I will also say if I were picking third, I would have picked Goldschmidt over uh, DeYoung. So people don't tell me that I'm a, I'm a Goldie hater because I, uh, (laughs) I greatly enjoy him in all of his, uh, you know, quote, I'm just doing my job uh, splendor uh, because he is fun to watch. He's a very good player. Um, And he seems to be a player other uh, players like to play with as well. And so, uh, I'm pulling for him, and now I'm I'm really pulling for him so I can have bragging rights over you uh, come November, Ben. Well, he is America's first that's true. baseman. Yes. I think that's, that's a fantastic nickname. Uh, and I'm looking at his Fangraphs page right now, and I'm I'm reminded that he he hit for a 146 WRC plus last year. And if he can do that over 162 games, I think he's going to be worth more than Paul DeYoung, even with Paul DeYoung's uh, defensive value there. So uh, certainly hope that continues. All right, so. I'll be honest, I really feel like those top four are fairly clear. And after this, I feel like it's the wild, wild west. (laughs) So so I'm really interested to see what what order you would place these guys in. Uh, I have them grouped pretty tightly together, the next several guys. So it really could go either way. But uh, for my next pick, so this would be what? Pick five. Uh, I would take Harrison Bader right here. And... I feel like we have a sort of starting quarterback versus backup quarterback situation in our outfield. And Harrison Bader is the poor starting quarterback who we've all seen out there for a couple of years and is not quite a superstar. And so we, we tend to fall in love with the backup quarterbacks, be they named Lane Thomas or Justin Williams or I don't know if anybody's in love with uh, Austin Dean yet, but uh, but they will be if he hits a little bit. People are already in love with John Nagowski. So, um, but I, I think it's a similar dynamic in play. And Bader has some obvious limitations to his his offensive game that we've all kind of seen right now. He really struggles against right-handed pitching, which is a challenge because most human beings are right-handed. Uh, he struggles a lot against breaking pitches and particularly sliders. There's times where he just looks like he has no idea what he's, what he's doing up there. That said, there are other times where uh, his batted ball profile is pretty impressive when he, when he makes contact, you know, he does some damage and really, again, his offense is not so important because he is an excellent center field defender. So I I guess I'm a little bit of a broken record because I keep coming back to guys who, even if their offense is variable and maybe even on the lower end of their projections, they're going to put up solid defensive value. So now Bader, we know, is starting the year injured, but from everything I've read, it's not something where there's structural damage. It sounds to me like it should probably be the kind of thing where he's, you know, I don't know, three, four weeks or so he's, he's out and then comes back. And so I'm presuming that's the case and he comes back. And if he does, I think he's going to get reinserted into center field uh, there and, and certainly have a, a, a shot to uh, show what he can do there. So anyway, Vader would be my next pick. Um, I, I think that's an interesting pick um, just because of the injury. 
and they're, they're saying four to six weeks, um, but you also don't know what a rehabilitation stint might look like and what he and the team decide is appropriate there because he missed such a large chunk of spring, you know, the spring games, you wonder if he's going to have to get uh, back into game shape uh, and have a, a steeper hill to climb there than he might otherwise have. Um, but he has such a built-in value because he is so good defensively. Um, and he's also fast on the bases, though I don't think he's as good of a base runner as you would think he would be given his speed, in, in my opinion. Um, and so uh, that is a good... Well, the, the hair slows well, him down the, a bit. You know, the hair the hair creates drag, and that the is flow. an issue. The, 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 yes, the the, if yeah. you want the flow look, you're going to have a little bit of drag. That's that's true. The salad puts on the brakes every now and then, and that's he might need to... Uh, a player whose speed uh, does not hurt him on the base as much uh, is uh, going to be my next pick, and that's Tommy Edmond. Um, the Cardinals... In a way, in a roundabout way, the Cardinals gave Edmund the Harrison Bader treatment. And what I mean by that is uh, when they traded Tommy Pham and basically installed Harrison Bader as the starting center fielder uh, because of his high batting average on balls in play and a relatively small sample size and very good defense and good base running. Um, and they basically did the same thing to Colton Wong. Um, they got rid of Wong uh, in order to save money. To their credit, they have used those savings to uh, bolster the major league roster with Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, Nolan Arenado. Um, but when they shipped out Colton Wong, and I know that Schilt only just announced it today, um, that Edmund will be the starting second baseman. I think everyone knew that already. Um, and you especially know it if you've been paying attention the last two years. I mean, Schilt played Edmund in the outfield over Andy or uh, Randy Rosarena, um, which is one of the most indefensible managerial decisions probably in the last five years of Major League Baseball. Uh, Schilt has a bias in favor of Edmund for whatever reason, and that has led uh, to the Cardinals installing Edmund, handing him the second base job, and handing him the leadoff spot. Um, and I think. Ultimately, Carlson will take over that leadoff spot because he's such a better hitter than Edmund. Um, but for whatever reason, Schilt thinks that Edmund has earned the right to post a 315 on base percentage in the leadoff spot. Um, and so uh, what I am doing here, I am picking based on the manager's bias and the team's roster. And Edmund is going to have every opportunity to get over 500 plate appearances. He's a pretty good defender. He's a good base runner. Um, and he's, you know, a below average hitter. Um, but I think it's just going to be a volume thing at this point. If he can just hit a little bit, uh, he's going to have a higher wins above replacement than the other players uh, who I think are likely uh, to get playing time. And I also think the outfield shuffle is going to uh, lead to some uh lesser plate appearance totals for, for the players in the outfield. Whereas Edmund will be playing every day uh, with the occasional break for Carpenter or Sosa or whomever. Um, but I also think Edmund uh, has less of a question mark with his game because he's a contact hitter. He is also not a power hitter. He's not going to hit for a lot of power. 
And playing in Bush Stadium, I think a punch and Judy line drive hitter who occasionally hits a double uh, has a lower floor than a swing and miss uh, power bat in the outfield because, you know, their power isn't going to be sapped the way or Edmonds power won't be sapped the way that the outfielders will be at Bush. So that's why I choose Tommy Edmond. Yeah, I think that's a solid choice right there. And, you know, my, my concern with Edmund is always just that, like you said, he's a he's a contact hitter. He doesn't walk. I think that's the biggest issue with him. So his I'm looking at his last couple of years. So his, his strikeout percentage is in the high teens or maybe 20 percent, which is not great. But for this day and age, it's fine. It's it's, you know, average ish. But his his walk rate has been, um, you know, in the kind of five to seven percent range. And that is just so incredibly low. And so at that point, you're only take carving out about 25% of your plate appearances that are either, uh, you know, a walk or a strikeout. As you mentioned, he doesn't hit many home runs. So there's your three true outcomes. So that's essentially 75% of his plate appearances that are just left to the fickle gods of batted ball luck. So I think he will forever be a player who goes through stretches where the, the batted ball luck is in his favor and he looks great and the numbers are great, but he will also go through stretches where his approach is exactly the same, but the the results really kind of turn in the other direction. And, and yeah, he's kind of an outlier for that kind of player in this day and age. So uh, next up for me, um, I am going to go with... Uh, an extremely old player. I'm going to go with Yadier Molina. Um, uh, I uh, just looking at a couple of the projection systems. Um, most of them have you know Yadi in the kind of one to one point five WAR range. So um, you know he's he's basically uh, you know a, a tick above. Uh, you know he, he's kind of approaching league average ish, you know, is, is basically his value. And, you know, we love him. He's a legend. He's a hall of famer, but that's kind of who he is at this point in time. Uh, but I also have to say at this point, I'm pretty confident that he is going to post that kind of number, which is odd because at, at his age, you would think you'd be ready for collapse, but he, it, it's been a very, very steady decline from him. And he's, you know, his offensive value, his defensive value, they're all declining, but we haven't seen, Either of them really crater. I think he takes great care of his of his body. Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm hopeful, though. I wouldn't say I expect the team uh, with with Kisner on the roster this year to. Uh, I think the best thing they could do is just just get Kisner in there a little bit more. Maybe get Kisner, you know, a start or so a week. Um, I think uh, I think Kisner has a lot more value than most of the backup catchers they've had throughout Yachty's career. So that's an advantage. But I also think if uh, with just a decrease in his total amount of playing time, um, I think the quality of Yachty's production would probably be a little bit on the higher end of what he's capable of. I think if they try to do that, um, you know, he will uh, set fire to the clubhouse. <laughs> and so um, I don't know that I expect that to happen. But uh, anyway, I think that's what they should do. But regardless you know, even if he's out there every single day, I mean, he's not signed beyond this year. I think there's a decent chance that he uh, hangs it up at the end of this year. Um, so uh, I, I put Yachty next for me on my uh, my list there. Um, do you worry about his health at all? Well, I mean, you know, yes, but, um, I, you know, I mean, we haven't seen any issues in spring. We didn't, you know, he played winter ball. He played last... He, he doesn't seem to have any acute injuries he's dealing with, I guess. So, um, 
and really as catchers go, I mean, he just has not, um, he's had very few seasons where he missed significant periods of time. So I'm pretty confident that he, you know, he's going to be healthy enough, you know, to, to catch, you know, 130, 140 games. I don't know that they should let him catch that many, but I think he'll be healthy enough. I mean, unless he, um, you know, obviously takes a, you know, pitch off the hand or something like that, that can always be something, but I'm not too worried. Are you, are you more concerned? than No, I, I just, it seems like he has had more of the bad luck, traumatic catching injury type situations come up later in his career in, in recent years. And, you know, that's the thing about catchers is they get foul balls. They have, you know, they're using their knees in a way that other players aren't. Um, and so uh, it's just a situation where, and also he's uh, getting up there in age and it feels a little bit different when you wake up in the morning in your late thirties as compared to your late twenties. And not that he would ever let that uh, slow him down, but I was just curious what you thought about his health. I feel like they kind of got a him and Wainwright kind of got a nice little shortened season that I think they'll be able to slingshot into a good 2021. Like their bounce back is going to be uh, perhaps better because of their age and the short season and the lesser workload. So I, you know, fingers crossed, you never know, but you know, that's kind of, I would say, I, I feel as confident about Yachty's health as I think I could possibly feel about a 38 year old catcher's health. So that's, that's where I'm yeah. at on him. <laughs> All right. Who, who do you um, got? Man? You know, this is, this is a tough pick for me. Um, I'm going to go with Justin Williams. Um, oh, oh. And the reason being, uh, I like that he is left-handed. There's going to be, um, in the major leagues today, breaking balls are so nasty. Uh, and even if they are going to crack down on cheating in the way that they say they are, um, you're still going to be dealing with 95 miles per hour plus and uh, as Crash Davis would say, ungodly breaking balls. Um, and with Tyler O'Neill, we have seen how hard that is as a right-handed batter uh, already in his career. And I think Williams has an advantage in that way. I also think that Williams has an advantage because the team is going to look to play matchups and give him a break against tough lefties. So, you know, you you aren't going to have very many days where a tough lefty is starting on the other side and you can pencil in 0 for 3 before they pull that lefty. And I think that's going to help him. Um, but I also... When we saw him in AAA, he had a little bit of a longer swing, and I tweeted something along the lines of, uh, when we saw him hit a home run to the opposite field, it reminded me a little bit, you know, not a lot, but a little bit of, of Jim Tomey and the, the way the ball bounced off his bat and the way it carried to the opposite field and the way his swing path was. And he has shortened that way down, and I just really like uh, the way his swing looks. And I think that swing is going to play at the major leagues a lot better than his old swing would have uh, because it's just quick down to the ball. Um, and he is also, uh, as I said, left-handed, but 
what the Cardinals have indicated and, and what you kind of see is that ballpark village in the left center field power alley has had more of an impact on right-handed hitters than left-handed hitters. So while I think Williams is certainly much more of a doubles hitter, I don't think that the park effects at Bush are going to be as drastic uh, with respect to his numbers as they would be to a Tyler O'Neill or a Harrison Bader or a Paul Goldschmidt. Um, so I, I really like Williams. Um, I thought he was a shoe in to make the roster even before the Bader injury. Um, and I think he's probably going to start on opening day and start a lot against right-handed pitchers. And I could be proven wrong in the month of April. I mean, this is going to be his sink or swim month. If he wants to be a major league regular, this is his opportunity. This is exactly what the Cardinals were talking about. And so, uh, he's got to seize the bull by the horns, but I haven't seen anything in spring training with the exit velocity and the way he's attacked the zone and, and some of the swings he's put against breaking balls. I don't see any reason to believe he's not, he's not going to justify them playing him regularly and notching a a decent uh, wins above replacement total this year. Yeah. Well, you and I both like him a lot. And you mentioned we, we've seen him in AAA. In fact, I think we were at a game together where he hit two home runs in the game, one pulled and one the opposite way. And he also threw a guy out at third on the fly on a ball that it kind of it bounced off the wall in right field and then one hop to him. And he just turned and just fired it on a line to get the runner who had been on first going to third. So uh, I feel like he's he's a guy who's always had the, the tools are really strong and maybe just the consistency and the approach and things like that need an improvement. And as you said, I think there's definitely reason to to think that's more there this year. I am surprised that you left on the board for me, Tyler O'Neill, who I'll have to take with the next, the next pick right there. Um, and I, I think all of these outfielders are, are again, such question marks, you know, who knows I could make an argument in either direction, but I will point out that Tyler O'Neill has won a gold glove. So, and uh, as we all know, <laughs> that is an indisputable mark of baseball excellence. But, uh, I, and I have to say too, that my, the, to the degree that I have confidence in Tyler O'Neill, it's a, it's a bit based on what I feel like I've seen this spring, which is something that I tend to not feel like I should believe in. But, um, his approach this spring has looked different to me and it's looked like a better approach for him. And I, I feel like he's, He's driving the ball um, to all fields, and it looks like he's driving it with a little bit more authority. So as, as I have seen Tyler O'Neill, I feel like early on he was a little more pull happy, which he doesn't need to be because he's a guy who has such power that he doesn't need to. You know, Paul, Paul DeYoung has done a – Paul DeYoung has dialed in this like one swing that hits the ball to the exact same spot in left field and straightaway left field every single time. And he's learned he can get a lot of balls over the fence doing that there. But that's that's the approach for Paul DeYoung because, you know, and if you've, if you've seen them, of course, with their shirts <laughs> off, Paul DeYoung, you wouldn't mistake Paul DeYoung for Tyler O'Neill. No one's ever walked up behind one of them in the weight room and, been, you know, said, hey, Paul, oh, I'm sorry, it's Tyler. Um, so so um, I do feel like last year it felt like we were seeing a different approach from O'Neill where he was – it was a more contact – oriented approach but it also just the the power really didn't seem like it was there and it would almost look like he was just kind of slapping the ball 
this year he's he's still going to more all fields, but it looks like he's driving it a little bit more. You know, if he can do that, I, I think you know he's got a lot of potential, obviously. But we've been saying that about him forever, and that's the thing with him is it's really kind of a you know a shitter get off the pot with with Tyler O'Neill. Um, you know, he's he's built like the Incredible Hulk. We would love to see him be a, this massive power hitter. Um, it just hasn't quite come together. It'd be great if it did. It'd be great if he was just showing power to to all fields. Um, the other thing, and I, I made a little bit of a joke about the Gold Glove, but He's a good defender. He's a good he's a good defender in the outfield. And in terms of who's going to get playing time, and I think particularly the fact that they started the season with Lane Thomas down. I mean, if if Dylan Carlson is not in center field, Lane Thomas or excuse me, uh, Tyler O'Neill is the only other person on this roster to start the season who could play center field. And and I think it tells us that while they that's may not be plan A, may not ever be plan A, I think we will see a little bit of Tyler O'Neill in, in center field this year. And it's something that they're they're comfortable having at least as an option. So, you know, between the fact that the approach looks good, the spring numbers were good, um, the kind of potential that he has, the fact that the defense is good and he, he can play all three outfield spots, uh, I'd, I'd throw him there. So, at this point, we're kind of through all of the really the, the projected kind of starters as of the start of the season. Ben, you want to just kind of real quick through the rest of the guys on anybody else out there that you feel like is you want to hit on? No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you could talk about Austin Dean. If O'Neill gets into a slump early and Dean is able to fill that void or Williams gets into a slump early and Dean is able to fill that void. Uh, he is probably the next player up. Um, but when you look at the other replacement players that they have as position players um, who are likely to uh, fill in in the year 2021, you know, I don't see anyone there other than Dean. Uh, you know, you could maybe, I guess, include Lane Thomas in that discussion as well. For example, if Dylan Carlson gets hurt, while Bader is hurt, Lane Thomas will be on the major league roster the next day after the, uh, mm-hmm. the IL designation. Um, and, and Thomas, you know, he has, he is pretty good at a lot of things and that's uncommon, uh, for major leaguers nowadays. I feel like, I feel like now you have one or two elite skills that teams try to leverage and get the player to max out on. Um, and Lane Thomas does not fit that mold. Um, he does everything pretty well. Um, yeah. L- Lane Thomas is a five tool player, but it's questionable how good each of those tools right. are. And, and that's kind of yeah. rare. He's, he is the type of all around player that they used to develop, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where you would have these guys, they're not going to hurt you in in any way necessarily but they also aren't gonna do something spectacular uh that nets you a handful wins each year and so i mean i think dean or or uh thomas are next on that list and after that you know there is a decent chance that the next highest total will be someone who is brought in and i just mean that in terms of the season win total because i think if things go bad, the team is going to upgrade um, use, using the trade market. And so, you know, I think that the next highest win total is, is just as likely to come from someone outside the organization as it is Dean or Thomas. 
That's a good point. And and we're going to touch on the roster that got announced today just a little bit later. By the way, we're recording this on Sunday. So, you know, if any of these guys' knees have exploded before you hear this, that's why. So, uh, so let's move on to the se- kind of second topic then. And we wanted to focus in a little bit on the starters. And, and I think in sort of the same way, we can maybe just bounce back and forth and talk about who we expect to, um, you know, get the most starts on the team. Um, I think it's probably safe to just say we both expect Jack Flaherty to be the number one starter. Is that safe to yeah. say, Ben? Uh, barring health, there he is going to start every fifth game, uh, not every fifth day. Uh, in the past, teams have sometimes skipped a back end of the rotation starter to get their number one more starts. I think with the the need to uh, increase workload from a 58-game season to a hopefully 162-game season, uh, you're going to see the Cardinals build in off days to reduce the workload for a lot of these starters. Um, so when we say Jack Flaherty, number one, we probably are not looking at 30 starts. We're probably looking at something more around 25, uh, maybe 20 to 25 range. Um, would not even surprise me if the Cardinals are that uh, conservative in their workload management. Yeah. All right. So so we'll kind of set Flaherty aside. I think we agree on that. Since I went first on the position players, do you want to go next with kind of who you think will be number two? So this is that? a tough one. Um, and it's it's only a tough one because Adam Wainwright is there staring at you, waiting for you to say something that disrespects him so he can tweet about it later. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the next one is Adam Wainwright because the Cardinals signed him to frankly, probably make the most starts uh, and throw the most innings for this team. And they did that even though he has a an uneven past when it comes to doing that. You'll see him, uh, you know, he'll go up above 200 innings uh, for two or three years, then he will have an injury that prevents him from doing that. Now, my hope is that Last year, the shortened season is effectively that, (laughs) and the lack of taxation on his body and the ability to bounce back, he's ready to go for 162 games, and his body's going to go there with him where his mind wants to go. Um, Because this is a guy who has had a lot of arm troubles, uh, and, you know, then the weird uh, Achilles injury. Um, But he, he looks good. He has all five pitches going. The question is whether or not his arm can hold up throwing a third of his pitches as curveballs because he doesn't have a good enough fastball to throw that as often as he used to. That's really the question in my mind. Yeah, I, I would I would have agreed. I would have gone with Wainwright there as well. I think the other thing, uh, you know, as we mentioned, Flaherty, and I think all pitchers are going to be on a bit of a restriction this year um you know teams not wanting to make really massive jumps in terms of their innings and their pitch load with no one having had much of a workload last year but i tell you what the one exception to that might be is adam wainwright because i don't think they or he expect him to be back next year so i think they are going to run that car into the ground and if the engine dies and they have to just kind of you know push it off the side of the road and you know call an Uber. I think that's what they're going to yes, do. Yes, they're going so. to use Adam Wainwright the way that Mike Matheny did when he had five years left on his contract. 
Right, right. They're going to use Adam Wainwright the way Mike Matheny used literally any pitcher <laughs> who he liked. So. <laughs> All right. So, so num. So those, I, I felt like we were probably those are probably going to be we're going to agree on those top two. I think the, some questions come up after that, but I'm pretty confident number three going with Carlos Martinez, and I feel like, you know, in terms of talent, Jack Flaherty is the most talented pitcher on this team. I think Carlos Martinez is number two. I think the only guy who approaches that conversation is Alex Reyes, but his, uh, you know, he's just had so little experience. We haven't quite seen it this year um, or, or haven't seen it in, in the past, but Carlos Martinez is, is a phenomenal pitcher. I mean, his, his talent is off the charts. Um, and I, it, it frustrates me how much, uh, what a percentage of Cardinals nation has kind of, turned against him over the past couple of years. Um, you know, he, he had a, he had an injury, which he rushed back from pitched out of the bullpen. So he, you know, he could contribute um, to some extent that led to some lingering with the injury. And then there was kind of a, will they, or won't they with him between the bullpen and the starting rotation. And then of course, last year, the COVID thing happened and he was somebody who had pretty serious COVID symptoms and, and obviously it, it hampered him. So, um, you know, has he been a little up and down and a little uneven the last couple of years? Yes, he has. But for to me, for reasons that are, you know, considerably uh, have, don't have anything to do with his talent. I think he's a incredibly talented. Um, there's some question here, I guess you could say the fact that he can be uh, used in the bullpen. I think that's the only reason you would maybe question him in terms of the number of starts here, because, you know, if they felt they had to move somebody, he's somebody who they, they were confident can be a, a good piece in the bullpen. So maybe... You know, maybe not for that, but, um, I, you know, until he until he shows he can't do it there, I think they've they've got to leave him, you know, in the rotation. And, and hopefully he's he does that consistently. He pitched in winter ball this year. He pitched well in winter ball. So uh, I'm going with Carlos. Would you have gone with that? as yeah, well? Yeah, I would have. And I'm completely uh, biased here. There's a a group of Cardinals that I have seen pitch in the quad cities uh, Colton Wong was among them, so I was always a little biased there because I watched him do a standing backflip during opening lineups and then hit a home run into the Mississippi River. Also saw Oscar Tavares uh, and Trevor Rosenthal and uh, uh, during that trip. But then um, I've also seen Carlos Martinez pitch, and this was back before he was, you know, uh, taking a run uh, at Tyler O'Neill for physique. Um, this, this was when he probably weighed, I don't know, uh, 140 sopping wet and he's pumping it 95 plus in low a and throwing some nasty, uh, breaking stuff as well. And so I've always thought, you know, he could win a Cy Young and I think he is their best pitcher when he is on everyone is saying, yeah, but he's not always on. And that's true. Uh, he has uh, issues with his focus uh, by his own assessment and the managers. Um, but he does want to win and he does want to help the team. Two years ago, he came back and was one of the best relievers in baseball uh, down the home stretch and helped them secure that first division title and first postseason berth uh, in several years uh, since 2015. Um, and uh, now he's going to have that opportunity as well. He's taken steps to make it achievable physically, pitching in winter ball, as you said. Um, and also I will add that his contract status makes the team more likely to lean on him, I think, than 
a Jack Flaherty or obviously an Alex Reyes or any of the other younger arms. Um, he's a veteran. He's built up as a starter. Um, and I think he's ready to go physically in a way uh, that only two other pitchers uh, on the team probably are. Because I don't think anyone could look you in the eye and tell you that Kim or Michaelis are physically ready to give you 25 starts this year. Because um, it doesn't look that way. Yeah. So who would you, so, so if we, if we got our top three there, who would you, who would you pick for number uh, four? Kim? Uh, he appeared in a game this weekend. Um, he now has a goatee, which is fantastic uh, because of his bad back. He was told to rest for three days and it hurt him to bend over when shaving. Uh, so he just stopped for a while. I read that too, but real quick, Ben, do you bend over? When uh, shaving? No, I found that really weird, but whatever. Uh, maybe he has know, one of those I'm... super close-up mirrors, like on the counter, and he bends okay. down. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, he's probably a tall guy too. Maybe his mirror in his hotel or apartment or wherever he's at is just not quite at the right height. Um, so. But he's also uh, he's he again he is a veteran. He had the tightness in his back that's held him up a little bit. Um, but I think he's going to be ready to go, and they're going to be able again his contract status allows them maybe to lean on him a little bit more than they might otherwise do. Um, but I also think he's pitching for his next contract. So he's going to be of the mindset to go out there and to compete. And I think he's going to, uh, be, uh, there in the fourth spot in terms of starts, uh, just because he's going to have a late start, uh, to the season. Um, but I think the team's going to uh, use him uh, as often as they can, um, also because he changes things up. He's a left-handed arm who has a different approach. Um, and you just worry that some of those deep fly balls last year that seemed to find outfielders' mitts around the warning track might find the seats this year. Uh, but hey, they deaden the ball, so they might catch them on the grass this year too. So uh, I think I think it'll be Kim. All right. All right. Well, for number five, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here. I'm going to say number five, Alex Reyes. Uh, we know some things. You're giving me a look, Ben. I think I did surprise you, you with did. my pick for number five. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be honest. I think there's probably others who are more likely. But the problem is, I think there's probably two, three, four other guys who are more likely and basically for the same reasons they're kind of they're kind of warm bodies that the team is comfortable ish with in that position and uh i think that they're those guys are going to get kind of shuffled in and out i think they're going to have times in the rotations and times out uh, i am anticipating obviously they've said reyes is starting the season in the bullpen they've kind of suggested they they plan to keep him there all season but i strongly suspect he is going to pitch in the bullpen through the all-star break, uh, get stretched out. And I think in August and September, if he pitches the way that he has pitched this spring, the way that we know Alex Reyes can pitch, I would, I would, I would expect that we could have an August and September where we have Alex Reyes in the starting rotation. He's maybe only going to throw five innings each start, but he is just so much better than any of the other options that they have right here. And um, the Cardinals have not shown themselves to be 
as sophisticated as some other ball clubs in terms of how they use their bullpen. So I think there are other clubs who would find a way to have him regularly throwing two, three inning stints in the middle of games. Um, and, and I think that would be a completely reasonable way to use him. But we just generally haven't seen that from the Cardinals. So I think we're going to see about the first half of the season that he's throwing one or maybe two innings in the middle of games. I, um, again, assuming he's still as lights out as he has been of late, if that's the case, I think they look at those hundred innings they have left and they say, you know what, let's get this guy into the rotation and he's going to finish up there. So that's my that's my out of the box pick for for number five. Um, what do you think, Ben? Where, where are you going after that? Um, it is a real question mark to me. Uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon walks way too many people. Um, he is a number six starter in triple a, uh, who now is going to start the season in the rotation. He is only going to be in the rotation until Kim comes back. So I'm not going to choose him. Then there's John Gant who also walks way too many people. Um, and I just don't think either one of those guys uh, give you enough innings to use them as a starter unless you change the way that you approach starts and what a start is. And I think some teams are going to do that this year. And so there is a chance that Gant uh, is going to be the fifth highest game start uh, pitcher this year. Uh, and there's also a chance that he's not going to get much above a hundred innings doing it um, because he's not good enough to go deep into games and he's not efficient enough. He's just, he's a, he is the dime a dozen right-handed reliever in major league baseball. I was actually kind of surprised they tendered him a contract this year. Cause to me, it just seems like uh, from the maximize efficiency mindset, pitchers like John Gant are easy to find in Major League Baseball. He's an averagist right-handed reliever, which means he's a below-average pitcher. And he happens to be a below-average pitcher overall who walks a lot of guys. But I think uh, right now he has the job. And so he's going to get at least you know, four or five starts probably at, at a minimum until Nicholas is ready. And even before the minor league season starts. So, uh, you know, I think that they want to go to some of those younger guys and I think it's going to be tricky to do so without much of a 2020 season for them, uh, if one at all. And then also due to the late start, uh, to AAA that they delayed the start of that season by a month. And so Gant has the inside track to be the fifth highest start total guy. And so I'm going to go with him, uh, even though I don't think, uh, he's a very good pitcher. Um, but that's what the team seems poised to do. And if he can just keep his head above water, uh, he'll be able to do it. Yep. So I notice, um, neither of us has picked Miles Michaelis, uh, up till this point. What, what do you expect out of Miles Michaelis this year? Um, I don't think he's going to pitch. I, I don't think so either. I, I almost said if I had to set an over under for him, I'd set it at uh, one inning pitch. <laughs> like I think that's the I think that's the over under. No, because I'm with you. He didn't pitch last season. He hasn't pitched this spring. Uh, I haven't heard a you know specific really on what's going on with his shoulder. 
to me, those are all, th- and, and now he could, hopefully, hopefully he does. Hopefully the, the rest ultimately clears it up and, you know, something like May 15th, he's back. Obviously we all hope that, but uh, I feel like I've seen this movie before and it's, I'm, I'm not optimistic that we see anything out of it. I, you know, the shoulder after a forearm elbow injury is the worst case scenario. Um, it is the thing that they strive to avoid. And here we are. Now, the positive of it, and I think I even tweeted something along the lines, I, it seems really terrible and really great that they can't tell us what's wrong um, because they don't know. So it's not something that's glaringly obvious. You know, he doesn't have a torn rotator cuff at this point in time, for example, or anything like that. They can't identify it. But it's going to be really interesting to see if he's able to get back to pitching and not have any issues. I just, when you go from a lower right or lower throwing arm injury to throwing arm shoulder injury, uh, anything you get from that guy is just uh, gravy at that point, because I, I don't know how you can count on him in any way. And that's why I chose John Gant because I don't think Michaelis is coming back. Um, and it's too bad because he's he's another veteran who's got good stuff, doesn't walk guys, and can give you some uh, average to above average innings, um, which is something that Gant's going to struggle to do. So uh, yeah. it's really unfortunate. Um, you know, I was tempted to try to be provocative and go uh, with uh, Liberator. Uh, there at number five because I think they want him in the rotation and I think he might if there had been a 2020 minor league season I think he might very well have started the year in the rotation but I think they want to monitor his innings as well and they want to allow him to pitch more in the high minors before bringing him into the major league rotation but it would not surprise me if, if his 2021 is similar to Michael Waka's in terms of joining the rotation late in the year and then being a part of it, if the team makes the postseason, that would not surprise me at all. I certainly hope so. And I, I do expect that he's going to make some starts this year. Um, I think Johan Oviedo, who has had a little bit of a weird spring where he hasn't really been around, but he started, I think, six games last year. I think he's probably back in there at some point in time. Um, the other guy, though, I think I would even put ahead of Libertor just in terms of likelihood is Zach Thompson. I think he's just he's a little bit older. He's a little bit more experienced. I, I just feel like ultimately, I think Libertor, Libertor has a, a higher ceiling than Thompson does. But I think the Cardinals see Thompson as being just a little bit further ahead. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him get a shot earlier um but that kind of leads us unless you have anything that we our next we're going to kind of roll into the roster and i feel like we're already kind of getting into that a little bit do you want to we we saw that uh kind of announced today basically so i guess barring any injuries in these last couple days we know who the 26 guys who are gonna um go north with the team are gonna be so ben anything that stood out to you um i think that nagowski is on the roster because there is because the triple a season uh, start was delayed a month. And I think their thought was this is a bat that can help us late in games win now. Uh, he's not going to lose much by being a part of the major league team and being that bat. Um, and I also think this is a product of the expanded roster as well. Um, you can carry more of a, a bat, only who's going to pinch hit and maybe give Goldschmidt a day off every 10 days. Um, and so uh, 
I love 28 year old rookies. Um, I, I grew up in a minor, in a triple A town in a minor league town. So I especially love a 28 year old quadruple A first baseman who can hit <laughs> there. You know, I grew up watching them and I've loved every minute of it. It's probably one of the reasons that I was open to the on-base percentage uh, philosophy of Moneyball and Jason Giambi, because the guys that I like to watch hit look like Jason Giambi a little bit. Um, and so I, I'm thrilled for him. I think it's wonderful. Uh, you know, like with all Cardinals, I'm going to be pulling for him, but I'm going to be pulling for him a little bit more. Um, I was a little bit surprised that Lane Thomas, just because of his versatility, uh, was sent down. But I think, you know, this is one of those situations where they have so many outfielders who we know what they can do at AAA, but we don't really know what they can do at the majors that it, between him and Austin Dean, quite honestly, I think it was probably something close to a coin flip. And so then you do look at spring performance and say, what are we seeing from these guys in the spring and who do we want uh, to carry with us into opening day. And I think Dean won out over Thomas there. And I think Justin Williams won out over Thomas there because of, for those reasons. Yeah. Well, I would, so one of the first things you said that I wholeheartedly agree with and that I'm happy about this 26 man roster is something that I have really disliked over the last 10, 15 years, as we've seen teams just carry larger and larger and larger pitching staffs is we've lost that bench spot for the, professional pinch hitter and that's just a guy I like to watch that guy play it's always nice in the late inning of games that you know you've got there's somebody on the bench that can do damage so I'm glad to see that back I'll tell you I am surprised that the Cardinals are going north with three of those guys (laughs) because Matt Carpenter John Nagowski and Austin Dean are are all hitters who have very little defensive value and so I'm the more I looked at this, I, I thought I'm really shocked that they're taking. I'm not shocked by anyone. I mean, Carpenter, obviously, given who he is, given all these other factors, that was I mean, he wasn't really in serious doubt that they weren't going to take him. But in uh, any one of them certainly makes sense. But all three of them, I'm kind of surprised by. And what it tells me is the they're they're going to start the same, you know, the same eight position players every single day in April. Because, you know, Edmondo Sosa is clearly a backup. Um, You know, Andrew Kisner, uh, you know, again, backup catcher. Maybe he gets a start here or there. But, you know, unless you think that Dean or Nagowski are going to, you know, potentially take share some time with Williams. But frankly, I don't because I don't think Dean or Nagowski are are really particularly legitimate uh, defensive players, even if you kind of hide them over in, in left field. So. Um, so that was one thing that surprises me. Uh, it, it could be fun to watch, honestly, because I think all three of those guys could potentially hit. And so that's that's fun to have three of them. But I, I was surprised. to see. I mean, that. we haven't had a professional pinch hitter since Ty Wigginton. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, but I also yeah. think this is them doubling down on what they have said since the winter. And that's they want to give their young outfielders an opportunity. And what they have effectively done is they have effectively cleared the roster for O'Neill, Carlson, and Williams. And they're they're going to play most days. And you'll see Dean, I think, spill or spell Williams against lefties. Um, but they are going to give those three players basically a month to show what they can do. 
And, uh, you know, that's exciting. It's also a little bit scary. Um, but I'm obviously, I'm a believer in Carlson, uh, and to a lesser extent, but still I'm a strong believer in Williams. Um, and O'Neill has so much physical ability. It's so hard to write him off entirely, even with the swing and miss in his game. So I think it's interesting that they have positioned themselves that way. Um, but I also think they've positioned themselves where, Hey, we can go with Dean. And then once the other team gets into their bullpen, we can bring in Williams, you know, and we can, we can bolster that defense again. Um, in that way. So So, it'll be interesting to see what Schilt does with those guys. Yeah. So what about on the, on the pitching side, anything there of note? I, I think, the only thing that really surprised anybody was um, Jake Woodford over Cody Whitley. Seems like that's kind of what everybody feels like was the the last decision made and the one that maybe could have gone either way. Yeah, and Woodford is someone who he walked so many people in 2019 in AAA, and I know they had the juiced ball and it destroyed the league uh, that year. And so the stats you can kind of throw out the window, really, um, but he just walks so many people and they already have two guys who do that. So what they're going to do is when Daniel Ponce de Leon is at 65 pitches in the third inning, they're going to bring in Woodford to what throw 40 to get us through five. Like it's going to be frustrating. I think to watch, you know, the Cardinals two, two days out of the week uh, here in April and it could hurt them and it could, the teams are so close in the NL Central, it could cost them uh, a division title and maybe even a postseason berth. Yeah, Jake Woodford's one of those guys, when I see him, I think about the the scene with the uh, consultants in office space where they say, uh, what is it you'd say you'd do here? <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's a guy I just kind of like, he's, he's just, he's a guy. I don't know. I, I don't know what he's, you know, I, I, I mean, he's, he's a body. He's fine. He goes out there, he'll throw the ball, but I don't, I don't know what the expectation is. I don't know what the, you know what I mean? Like, uh, is, is he the yeah. Mike Matheny Memorial, uh, long man that never gets used? It's well, I think, I think he is. And the other thing is, I think that, so, uh, and I wrote about this at, at VEB a couple weeks ago and I saw uh, Mike Petriello had a piece a week or so ago about this as well. Just this question of, what are teams going to do this year with the fact that they're they're not going to give guys these giant jumps in terms of innings and starters in particular is where it really becomes an issue. Uh, Lance Lynn threw the most innings in the majors last year. He threw 80. So this is going to be a thing league wide. How are teams going to deal with this? And I think we know that there's teams like the Rays, of course, are the first team that jumps to mind because they kind of pioneered this. There's going to be teams that have you know, use six or seven starters, but the the bottom, you know, three of those guys are only ever going to go out there for one time through the order. And then, you know, and they're going to have guys who, whether they're starters or middle relievers, it's pretty much indistinguishable. I, I, to be honest, I wish the Cardinals were maybe had the flexibility to do something more creative like that, but they really just seem to be a team that wants five guys. They want a five man rotation. And now the guys are going to come in and out of that. And I think that's going to happen. So as we talked about before, all these other names, 
that guys are going to come up from AAA, et cetera. But Woodford to me, including him is the one sign to me that they're at least thinking about that. And that's where I can see having him over Whitley on there. We haven't necessarily seen it materialize, but having a guy on there who can give you those multiple innings, just with the thought that you don't want a lot of guys innings to jump. And particularly with the Ponce de Leon's and the Gants and guys who struggle with pitch counts, you know, maybe having more multi-inning relievers is, is is how they're going to try to address that. And if that's how they're going to try to address that, I can definitely see where Woodford becomes a guy that you, you want to throw out. And it, it takes me back to the 2011 postseason, um, which I consider the, the high point of managing in the 21st century when Tony La Russa, he basically used a two-man rotation. Uh, it was Carpenter and Garcia are going to give us seven or eight or nine. And everyone else, uh, Fernando Salas, get ready. Because the first whiff of yep. trouble, <laughs> you are our, our middle inning closer. And he did a wonderful job of it. And, you know, I've read interviews with Duncan where he said, you know, he never thought that you would get away from starters because the good pitchers – you want to go deep. And he suggested you would have a situation where you have, you know, two or three pitchers who are starting like normal, and then maybe you do rotate through. And so you can kind of see the Cardinals positioning this, themselves to do that with Gant and Ponce de Leon and potentially Martinez too. Um, and you can see it in particular with Gant and Ponce de Leon because of their inefficiency um, historically. And so you know, Woodford, I think, is maybe not the guy you bring in in the middle of the third or the middle of the fourth. He might be the guy you bring in to start the fourth or the fifth and try to get two or three innings. Uh, but I also think it's going to be really interesting to see if Schilt is going to use a Helsley for two, um, you know, a Reyes for three, those well, types of things, as you said. Well, and to the other guy to me that interests me a lot is is Henesis Cabrera because he's a guy that, uh, you know, and I don't know, maybe his his potential as a starter has sailed at this point, but he is a guy being a lefty that throws with, with you know, uh, that was touching 98. He hasn't been up there this year, had some nasty breaking stuff. You know, I was really holding out really for the last couple of years to see him take a step forward and jump into that rotation and, you know, potentially even be like a number two, number three type guy in the rotation. Well, we haven't seen that, but he at least has uh, some experience as a starter, um, has can, has been a little more stretched out and has a repertoire when he's got a handle on it, which is certainly not always, um, you know, that he's another guy who I think you could see go, you know, two, three innings in the middle of a game. And I there. think it's going to be really interesting to see if that's how they approach it, where it's not so much an official piggyback, but it is a situation where it's, if we've got the lead in the fourth inning, you know, three to one and Gant walks the leadoff guy, how much longer does Schilt stick with him? Um, or Ponce de Leon, is he going to say, all right, give me Reyes because a win in April helps me make the postseason the same as a win in September. And, uh, you know, you, you wonder how repeatable that is over 162 game season, but you also look at the weirdness following 2020 that the clubs are dealing with 
And maybe the way to go is to have those one or two or three guys who are giving you 150 plus, and then a whole bunch of guys with 75 to 100 innings um, or 110, what have you, where you're trying to squeeze uh, from the top of the innings pitch total and the bottom of the innings pitch total so that there are a whole bunch of pitchers grouped more in the middle there. Um, and that's probably the approach that I would explore uh, if I were in a front office. Uh, and the Cardinals have done stuff like that in the minors before. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do, especially given the injuries that have hit the rotation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've gone, uh, we've gone an hour plus today, which I think is longer than we'll, we'll typically tend to go, but it was a season preview. So I know we wanted to go into a little more depth on some of this stuff, but um, to kind of wrap things up, Ben, uh, and <laughs> we'll be back in like two days because the Cardinals have an off day the day after opening day. <laughs> so we don't have a whole lot to look forward to between then, but uh, what are you going to be looking for on opening day? Uh, I'm going to be looking at how aggressive Schilt is at pulling the starter and then how he uses the bullpen after he does that. Are we looking at your typical string together one inning appearances or are we going to see early on maybe a a one and a third or two inning appearance from a a reliever? Um, Those are the things that I'm going to be looking for. Um, I'm also going to be looking to see what Flaherty's command looks like uh, because it it sometimes abandoned him last year, um, which I think we can all agree, even under the circumstances, was a little bit of a disappointment. Um, and then uh, I want to see who he starts in right field. I think it's going to be Williams, and I think Williams is going to get a lot of starts. Uh, but if it is Williams, it indicates we are going to see him getting an opportunity in April. Yep, yep. Well. I am going to be just looking for there to be baseball again. I really, I can't, I I thought about it and I, I, it's just hard for me. You know, if Flaherty goes out there and he's all over the place and you know, he's pulled in the second inning, that'll be kind of a bummer, but I won't be that worried about that. If anybody on the team goes over five, that won't worry me too much. You know, if anybody hits three home runs, I'll think, wow, what a great opening day. They they toughy roads it, but I'm not going to pencil them in to do any more than I thought they would do. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was a little bit older, like probably like high school, uh, I would uh, often uh, pretend I was sick on opening day so I could stay home and watch the day games. My, my parents never really seemed to put it together that I just happened to be sick on opening day pretty often. So, uh, and actually on Thursday, I'm getting my second COVID vaccine shot as well. So I'm, so I'm kind of planning on just taking it a little bit easy anyway after that. So it's, it feels like a little bit of a throwback to me. I'll be sitting on the couch, um, you know, feeling those antibodies pumping through my body, hopefully allowing me to go into restaurants and <laughs> see, see loved ones and things like that, that I haven't done for a year. And uh, just going to kind of uh, enjoy the aesthetic of baseball. I, so. I totally understand where you're coming from. And it's going to be wonderful uh, to have baseball present again, beginning in uh, spring and hopefully lasting through the fall. Um, and especially yeah. because we had, 
we had baseball last year, but let's be honest, it felt like they were playing in the sort of like tubing and stuff from ET, right? They were like, they were playing, but it was, they were, they were under a glass dome. <laughs> it, it was just a very strange year, of course, all the way around. And it just, none of it really felt real. It was more of a curiosity. It was like, we're going to do this super short season for seeding in this enlarged postseason. And it really felt more like an AAU situation with like a round robin before the championship round or something than major league baseball, which is a part of our lives for an entire summer and into the fall. And so uh, I'm very excited for 162 game season. Uh, and I think the Cardinals are going to be uh, competitive this year. And uh, so I'm even more excited. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ben, this was super fun. I thought it would be, but then it actually was as well. So thank you so much for doing this with well, me. Well, uh, thank you for having me. And uh, it's been a while. I was thinking, I, I think it's probably been over five years since we did a podcast, or around five years since we did a podcast together back at Viva Alberto. So uh, I, I think this was a good first episode. We're still getting the rest off. So if uh, folks want to message us uh, or email us on uh, Substack, uh, and let us know what you think if you have any questions, those types of things. Uh, this is Cardinals Off Day, uh, and uh, you can get uh, in touch with us there. Yeah, and just real quick, that that actually the email address. Thanks for mentioning that, Ben. Is uh, uh, Cardinals Off Day at Substack dot com. Um, you can also follow us. You're, you're probably listening to us through a, a podcast app already, so that obviously you can find the podcast there. But you can also subscribe at cardinalsoffday.substack.com. You'll be able to see written pieces there, and we'll, we'll be distributing um, some of those via email as well. I think as the season goes on, we're hoping to have some some kind of written pieces to supplement the podcast as well. So, uh, yeah, anything else, Ben, you want to? Nope. Uh, only thing left to say, I guess, is go Cardinals. Absolutely. All right. Go Cardinals. We'll see you in uh, just a couple days for the next Cardinals off day. Thanks.